Thank you, Charlie and worship team. It's wonderful to see all of you today, and it's a privilege to open up God's Word together. I want to ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 4. And as we continue our first thing series, we will, the Lord willing, be in Genesis 4 the next three weeks. Next week, we're going to address the topic of children, the week after, the topic of worship, and today, work. And if you are able, please stand with me as we read God's word this morning. We're going to read Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? May God bless his word today. And Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we pray you would open our eyes. That we would see wonderful things in it today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. Well, I remember my very first official paycheck-providing job. It was in 1977. I was 15 years old, and I got a job at Douglas Bakery in Downey, cleaning pots and pans. In fact, I washed big pots and pans, and big stacks of pots and pans as well. Now, before that, I mowed lawns and I cleaned swimming pools. I still remember mowing Fern Meltvitz lawn. My mom would drive me to her house. We would take the Sears push mower out of the car. I'd mow the front yard. And around about the time I would be halfway through the backyard, Fern would come out with a nice, big, cold, fresh glass of lemonade made with lemons right off her tree. It was beautiful. Now, by the time I graduated high school, I had been a uh, gardener and a swimming pool cleaner. I had worked at a bakery, had also worked at an Italian deli, and at a retail clothing store. But my parents taught me the value of hard work, and also the necessity of work if you wanted to buy anything, or have any kind of spending money. But work is a necessary part of life. We keep occupied doing something, whether paid or not. And this morning what I want to do is point out two primary characteristics of work. First of all, Work is a blessing. 
It's a gift of God. It is not a punishment for sin. Now, many view work as a curse. But for Adam, before the fall, work was a pleasure. It was a joy. It was a privilege. Now, go to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Flip back there to Genesis 1 and 28. God had created man in his own image. He created them male and female. And then in verse 28, he, it says he blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living thing that moves on the earth. Now go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. We see that God gave Adam specific tasks in the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Now this idea of cultivating the garden is the idea of working the garden, of actually serving. Literally, there's the idea of worship attached to this, that our work can actually be an, uh, uh, an act of worship to God. And then this idea of keeping the garden, taking care of it, uh, preserving it, watching over it, attending to it. Now, from the beginning, people had plenty to do under God's oversight. They were expected to work and to follow God's laws that he had established so they could enjoy the benefits of his creation. But as we know, with the entrance of sin into the human race, as we see in Genesis 3, work would now involve toil and hardship. There would be no easy button when it came to work. It would be much harder now. Now go to Genesis 3 and verse 17. God is speaking to Adam. And he's speaking to him in terms of the consequences of his sin. And he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ground was cursed with thorns and weeds and would not give up food easily anymore. Only by the sweat of our brows would people be able to uh, have the ground yield its fruit. Work, though, is a blessing. Of the working God. Not a curse. But no longer would people always gain a reward for their harsh labor. Uh, Today's labor produces anguish and frustration and discouragement. Setbacks. Disappointments. But even so, to be able to work is a blessing from God. It's a God-given opportunity. Now Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has many Verses that speak of uh, diligence in our work and perseverance and honesty among, along with the rewards of mastering an occupation. Verses describe the sluggard as not plowing in season and therefore receiving nothing when it comes to harvest time. The Proverbs speak of laziness that brings on sleep and hunger. It encourages honest methods that Food gained by fraud tastes sweet initially, but then turns to gravel in the mouth. We know that God detests differing weights and dishonest scales. But we also see that a man who is skilled, a person who is skilled in their labor, will stand before rulers. 
to be able to work is a blessing. But also, the ability with which we work is a blessing. That we have God-given talents and abilities and skills and capabilities and interests and gifts that God has given us with which to serve him. Now, you may have ability and you may have the desire to work, but find yourself either unemployed or underemployed. What do you do? My encouragement would be a very simple one, to pray that God would lead you in the way that you should go. That it may lead to a new occupation. Many of you have changed occupations even in midlife. But it's no accident that you are where you are in regards to your employment today. Now, there are those who won't work as well. They have ability, but no desire to work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, If a man will not work, neither let him eat. Paul doesn't say if a person can't work because of illness or injury or lack of job, he shouldn't eat. But Scripture is clear that a, a, a lazy person will reap what they sow. See, God is a working God. We are to be his fellow workers. And work is a blessing. We're to serve God in our work. Now, there's another aspect of work that I want to point out. Yes, work is a blessing, but work is also a calling. In verse 2 of chapter 4 in Genesis, we read that Abel was a keeper of flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground. The first two official occupations listed in the Bible. Abel was simply a shepherd. He led, he fed, he cared for, he cleaned, he tended, he oversaw, he protected flocks. In fact, uh, that occupation obviously carried on. And when we get to Genesis 46 and 47, when Joseph's brothers came before Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked them, what is your occupation? Their answer, we are shepherds. Your servants are shepherds. Now Cain, on the other hand, was a farmer. Now he was also a murderer, and we're going to deal with that on another week. But as a farmer, he cultivated, he watered, he planted, he protected, he oversaw, he harvested crops. But both Cain and Abel both needed a watchful eye as they oversaw their responsibilities. Both had a God-given calling, a job they were gifted to do. Now, God gives callings to particular avenues of service. And I believe that all Christians have callings in the world, what we would call a vocation, from the Latin word voco, meaning calling. The idea is that God has called each of us to specific tasks and responsibilities and types of work in which we are to love and serve him and our fellow man. We have callings in different arenas of life. We have callings in the family as spouses and as parents and as children. Spouses are called by God to love and to honor one another. Parents are called by God to be the primary teachers and disciplers of their children. 
children. The number one job of kids that God calls them to is to love him by honoring and obeying their parents. Now, in my my humble opinion, I believe that the most challenging job imaginable is that of a mom. And, And by the way, ladies, I'm not just saying that, you know, so you'll like me or anything, okay? Um, And I would venture to say, and this one hits close to home in my home, that specifically the most challenging job, in my opinion, is a stay-at-home mom who also teaches her kids at home. Because you are mom and homemaker and teacher at the same time. Whatever the case, moms, Whatever roles you play in the home and the church and the community and the marketplace, whatever roles you play, being a mom is a high calling. A high calling. I, by the way, I, I, I've been a mom for a weekend. Uh, you know, my wife has gone to the women's retreat several times over the years, and being mom and dad for a weekend, you know, guys, you know, is not uh, always a pleasant task. I mean, fulfilling the role that mom, you know, fulfills. Now, we also have callings in the church as pastors and elders and members. In fact, go to Ephesians 4 for just a moment. I want to point out just a couple of verses there. In Ephesians 4, in verse 1, Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling with which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness. And then in verse 11 we read that God gave some in the church as apostles. And some as prophets. And some as evangelists. And some as pastors and teachers. In verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for works of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. And then over to verse 16. That from... Christ, whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we have callings in the family, in the church. We have callings in society as as citizens, that we are called to obey the governing authorities, as Romans 13 teaches, and we are also called to pray for the, the ruler's uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the government and in, in, uh, in society, as uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 teaches. Now, we also have callings in our work as we make our livings with the gifts God gives us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, we read, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In that verse that's printed in your bulletin this morning, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, whatever you do, do your work heartily, literally from your heart. It literally means to work energetically. It means to work diligently. Now what I want to do is make four observations regarding work in the time that we have left this morning. The first observation is this, that God blesses our work 
when we act within our calling. I want you to go to Acts chapter 6 for just a moment. Acts chapter 6, a problem arose in the church there in Jerusalem. The disciples were increasing in number. There was a complaint that arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews that they're against the, the Hebrews, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, the daily serving of the food. So here's what happened. The twelve summoned the whole congregation together. They had a big congregational meeting. And they said to them, it is not good for us to neglect the word of God to wait on tables. They knew what was not good for them to do. Verse 2. And so they said in verse 3, here's what we ought to do. Select from amongst yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Now, verse 4, they knew what was good for them to do. They said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, what was the result? Verse 5, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. Everyone agreed. And so they chose Stephen and the others. Now, what was the upshot of all that? Look at verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. A great number of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That was the result of this appropriate division of labor amongst those in the church there. But God blesses our work when we act within our calling. And the apostles knew what they were called to do. And they were not going to neglect the word of God and prayer for other tasks. Now, I think it's interesting that for something as seemingly mundane as food distribution and waiting on tables, that it was important for the apostles to find men full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit for that task. And that says to me that there isn't anything too mundane for a person full of faith in the Holy Spirit to do. And that what a person is called to do, whether in business or academia or in the home or if you're a student, whatever it is, it is something that we can and must pursue by faith and empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, we need to know what is good for us not to do and even the good things and then know what we need to devote ourselves to, the good things God calls us to do. Has God called you to labor in the marketplace? If so, then next to your family, your workplace is the most strategic place of ministry for you. Now, there's a second observation I want to make that really goes along with the first observation. It's kind of the flip side of it. That God does not normally bless our work when we act outside of our calling. And two ways that we do that are by overworking and underworking. Last year there was a poll and they found out that 44% of Americans consider themselves to be workaholics. The interesting thing about the study is they found that Americans now have far more free time and far more uh, vacation time and leisure time than past generations. 
And what they found was that the stress levels increased not just as work increased, because they found that workers were actually working less, but that as the free time and leisure time was filled with many things that former generations did not fill their leisure time with. They also found that with the advent of the internet and with people's commitment to TV watching, that people were sleeping far less and are sleeping far less now than they were in former generations. And so what happens is people are not getting the rest that God intends them to get in a time of sleep. Instead, they're filling up all their hours with all sorts of things. But overworking, neglecting our other priorities, such as our family, to work. But how about underworking? Underworking, quite literally, is cheating. It is stealing from your employer. It's the idea of someone saying, well, you know, they don't pay me enough anyway, so I'm just going to do as much as I need to do to get by. I'll just fly under the radar just enough so that no one will notice too much. But I will tell you, they notice. Cutting corners, getting, doing just enough to get by. Now, acting outside of our calling is also the root of many problems A judge, for example, is called to interpret the law not to infringe on the calling of legislators by creating laws. Government leaders are called to protect us not to raise our children or provide us all financial security. Those callings belong to the family. Jean Edward Veith, who's the, the author of a book called God at Work, wrote this. Workers who lose their jobs, and by the way, I remember losing my job right before I, uh, shortly before I became a believer, and I was working at a bank. I needed to be fired. At the time, I didn't think so. At the time, I disagreed. But looking back, God used that to, to show me my sinfulness, show me how much I needed him. And looking back, I am so glad I got fired. But Veith wrote, workers who lose their jobs, businesses that fail, students who flunk out of classes, All of these can be, though are not always, causes, cases of failure to discern one's calling. Workers try a job they have no talent to do. Business owners provide a service their neighbors do not need or want. Students pursue a major because of the money they think it will make them, rather than assessing their God-given abilities. I want to show a movie clip right now uh, from the movie The Rookie. And to set the stage... Jimmy Morris was a child prodigy at baseball, but he ended up not playing and became a school teacher. But he still had the dream of being a baseball player. And at one point later in life, he gets a shot. And he goes to his father's house one night to ask his advice. You're asking me? Yes, sir. Your grandfather once told me it was okay to think about what you want to do until it was time to start doing what you were meant to do. That may not be what you wanted to hear. That response from his father put him in a quandary. And he actually became angry at his father again because he felt that he was just squashing his dream. 
but he, he wanted to know what he ought to do. He had dreamed about this, and his father says, you know what, you stop dreaming and do what you were meant to do. Well, he actually did. Long story short, he became a pro baseball player for a few years and, um, and fulfilled part of his dream. But how do we ascertain our calling? I remember back in 1983 when I sensed that God was calling me to full-time ministry. I wondered if it truly was God who was calling me or if it was just my idea. And as I moved forward, I was uh, influenced, obviously, by the scriptures, by the encouragement of trusted friends, and this inward desire to share Jesus and preach the gospel. But I remember praying, Lord, is this your idea or my idea? I needed to know. And all of us at some time or other have wondered if we are fulfilling our calling. Some of you maybe right now are questioning whether you're doing what you are truly called by God to do in life. One simple thing to think about is this. What do you do that God seems to bless? You may want to do that because you're probably gifted at it. There's a third observation. That work, embraced as a calling, expresses the glory of God. It's part, very literally, of following Jesus. That through our work, God provides for us and our families, contributes to the common good, and also gives us a sense of fulfillment and of satisfaction that we are making a difference in some realm. I've got a friend named Chuck McCutcheon who's an airline pilot. And I asked him, how do you honor God in your work? And here's what he said. By joyfully going in all situations and having a glad heart that I have a job. He has said this to me on countless occasions. He says, Mike, I am just thankful that I have a job. He went on to tell me, I am surprised by people who, excuse me, I am surrounded by people who aren't thankful for their job. I show it by doing the absolute best I can, and hopefully God will be glorified by that. How I deal with pilots, attendants, and passengers. Almost every day I pray as I go to work that I would glorify God through my actions. I am not the best pilot in the world, but God has given me this vocation, the opportunity to fly planes and minister to the people I fly with. There are lots of ways to glorify him. Some days I do better than other days, just like everybody. Probably my closest friend on earth, uh, Steve Skelly, is a, a Los Angeles fire captain. And I asked him, how is God glorified in your work? Do you ever sense the wonder of God the wonder that God is working through you as you work. And he said this. He said, the fact that I have the opportunity almost daily at work to possibly affect people's lives. They call us because they're out of answers and need help. It has to do with attitude. And he said, we're not needed a lot of times. In fact, he said that amongst the firefighters, it's you have got to be kidding that you called me for this. You called us for this. And he says, uh, some have a bad attitude. And he said, as a captain, I get to maintain a positive attitude, which affects the whole crew as well as the community we serve. You see, the goal of work is to fulfill what God created us to be, not primarily to just earn an income. When we do the work that we are designed by God to do, it can literally be an act of worship. Isn't it interesting that as Cain and Abel did their jobs, 
In the course of time, they came and brought offerings that flowed right out of their work. It's a way we can express our love for God. William Tyndale, in a book called The Parable of the Wicked Mammon that was written in 1527, said this, There is a difference between washing dishes and preaching the word of God, but as to pleasing God, none at all. William Perkins wrote a a treatise on vocations, and he represented the early Puritan view of secular work. And he said this, The action of the shepherd in keeping sheep is as good a work before God as is the action of a judge in giving sentence, or of a magistrate in ruling, or a minister in preaching. But the glory of God can and ought to be expressed in our work. Now the last observation is this. When we work in such a way that we are working, in a sense, as unto God, God makes the gospel, through us, magnetic to others, attractive to others. Now more than ever, indigenous believers that are already embedded, Christians that are embedded in mission fields of accounting and sales and software and construction and other honorable vocations, need to work with integrity and share their faith in their actions as well as their words. A favorite verse in terms of vocation that I apply is the one that's spoken to to bond slaves in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Even with bosses who are unfair or ungodly. God may use you in some way to bring them to faith in Christ. That last phrase in that verse is very important. That in pursuing our vocations in a conscientious way. We are making, God is making through us the gospel magnetic to others. That's huge. Without you out there doing what you do, who would walk in the doors of Grace Church? You see, people are coming because out there in the real world, you're pursuing your vocations and are making, in a sense, then the gospel attractive to others as God works in you and through you. Now, God, now, now people are not always going to be appreciative. They're not always going to like it. There's a local realtor who takes a bold stance from the get-go about his Christian faith and his commitment to work by Christian principles. And he sees work as a call, his work as a calling from God. But he told me that he is sometimes ridiculed because of his boldness. And he said, sometimes taking a stand makes you stick out like a sore thumb. And he said, quite frankly, I don't care. I am more concerned about doing what is right. I want to close by telling you about Dwight L. Moody. I'm sure you've heard of him. He was a poorly educated shoe salesman. Now, if you have the Your Story Hour series, you know him as Dwight L. Moody, God's man. Now, one morning, he and some friends met in a hayfield for prayer and for confession of sin and for just giving themselves over to God completely. And his friend Henry Farley said, 
the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And Moody was deeply moved by these words. And he later went to a meeting where Charles Spurgeon was preaching. And he remembered the words of his friend. The world has yet to see. And, and what God would do with and for and through and in. And by the Holy Spirit, he wanted to be one of those men. But he saw something he had never realized before. As he heard Spurgeon preaching. It was not Spurgeon doing the work. It was God at work in him. And he figured if God could use a man like Spurgeon, he could use him as well. And he can use the rest of us as we lay ourselves at the master's feet and say to him, send me, use me in whatever way you desire. See, D.L. Moody was a very ordinary man that God used in extraordinary ways. Whatever your calling, whatever arena of life we're talking about, some of us are tired in our work. And some of us are tired of our work. But sometimes we need to gain a, a fresh perspective of a bigger picture. That God wants to use us right where we are. This idea that we are to bloom where we're planted. To trust God to use you in your task to expand his kingdom. You see, work is a blessing from God. It is also a, a calling, a vocation. We're to work and do all that we do to the glory of God. We're to, to look to Jesus in our vocation, in our employment. And the focus is on our attitudes as we work. We are to work as if Jesus were our immediate supervisor. And we're to work with an attitude of thankfulness and, and contentment that says, Thank you, Jesus, that I have a job. Thank you, Jesus, that I have a paycheck that meets the needs of my family. Thank you, Jesus, for the ability you give me to do what I do with excellence, as, as good as I can with your strength. Thank you, Jesus, for the strength you give me to do it. Reminds me of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, to will and do his good pleasure in us and through us. Jesus said in John 5, my father is always working, and I too am working. And then from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. What was finished? The work the father had given him to do on earth. The penalty for our sin was paid so that we might live to glorify him. And the work of Jesus is our basis of soul rest, that we are to rest from our works and rest in his. You see, work is a necessary part of life, but it is not the center. Jesus is the center. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you that you give us life and breath. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to even get up in the morning and do what you have called us to do. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close our time together this morning.
just have one word for you. Not one word, one sentence, two sentences. May we accomplish the work that God has given us to do. Our work being a vehicle for a greater work. That of expanding and and advancing the kingdom of God. And as we leave today, may what we have done in this room today affect the other 98% of life. Go in peace and serve the Lord.